Well, good morning. So glad to see some of y'all here who I don't see very often. It's always fun to come to church in July and see who's uh, not on vacation. So really glad you're here. Thanks. Um, This is a sermon that uh, showed up for me on Palm Sunday. Andy was preaching, and I was leading worship. And he had us read this passage. And I was standing right here, and I got to one part of the passage. And I almost had to stop. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. What? 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 But then I thought, well, Andy's got a sermon prepared. I don't need to go on and on about that. So this is what you're getting. Thoughts have been mulling over since the spring. So welcome. And it's all about a donkey, if you can believe it or not. Um, It might help you to know that in the nature of my work, I work in the leadership coaching consulting space, and we specialize in my company at helping leaders be better supervisors, be more congruent team builders, those kinds of things. And part of our work, it's not all that we do, but sometimes we have our, our leaders, our clients, come work with horses because horses have this notion of congruence. And it was because of my working with horses that I saw something in this passage that has astonished me ever since. So it'll help you, I think, as we go along for the story, for you to learn a little bit about horses. Equines, really. So that means your horses, your donkeys, your zebras. Now, this is a funny little start to a sermon, but it'll be helpful for you to know. All of these creatures are herd animals. Everything about them is wired to be in a collective and a connected unit. It might help you to think about uh, maybe some of those natural geographic specials you've seen where, you know, they're all running around somewhere like, oh, something happened, and we all run somewhere. Um, Think about that sort of mentality. Also, all of these animals are extremely intuitive. They don't have language. They don't have words. They exist by grazing. They've got their heads down like, I don't know, 75, 80% of the day, and they can literally see almost all the way around them. They can't see right in front of their face, and they can't see right behind them. But other than that, it's almost 360 because they're grazing all the time, and that's, that's how they, they stay alive. They're prey animals. Their eyes are on the side of their head so they can see all around. Not like those of us, like dogs, cats, people, hmm, eyes in the front of our head. We're, we're usually aiming after something. So everything about them is about survival. And the way they do that is by paying attention to things intuitively together. And then when there's a problem, they bolt. That's their most natural thing. This business and all those horse movies you see where the horse is like, I'm mad, I'm going to attack you. That almost never happens. And it only happens when the horse can't get away. So what, what you're thinking about with these animals is what they would love to do is always get away from the danger. And then they'll bolt and usually stop and look back and go, huh, what was that? <laughs> is everything okay? That's how they're wired. That's how they behave. The other thing about these equine creatures our horses, our zebras, our donkeys, is that they require a high level of congruence. Congruence is that ability to see if what's going on out here matches what you know to be true internally. So the way that helps in their survival, let's go back to the herd out in the wilderness on a National Geographic special. You may be watching them all at a water hole, and you'll see a lion walk up to the water hole, and they're like, (gasps) but wait, nobody's bothered. Why are they not bothered? Well, the lion's thirsty. They know that. Everything about the lion is communicating, I came for a drink of water. We're all having a drink of water here and everything's fine. But if they're out grazing and somebody notices, oh, there's a lion in the grass and he's like this, crouched, nothing going on here, just fine, they can pick up on that level of incongruence and they'll know that that's danger. It's not the lion that's danger, it's the incongruence. And so this is part of the power of working with these animals and why that that matters in such big ways. So let's go back to the passage. 
This isn't an actual photograph, by the way. I wish there were. It'd be really fun, wouldn't it? But I did like, I did like these women giggling over here in the picture. I thought, can you imagine what it would have been like to actually be in that crowd, the sorts of things people would be thinking and wondering and astonished by? But let's read the passage again with this idea in mind about how, um, how this donkey is wired, sorts of things that the donkey might be experiencing and thinking about. Also, he's called a colt. That means like a, a one-year-old-ish donkey or a horse, or I guess that's what a zebra's called too. I don't know. So here's our story again. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one's ever ridden. That was the part where I'm like, wait, what? Do you, do you know how dangerous it is just to sit on the back of an animal that's never been ridden before? Jesus says, go get that animal and bring him over here to me. I'm like, oh, this is so dangerous. We would never do this to our clients. This is terrible. And I said, untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're doing this, tell them, well, then the Lord needs it, and he'll send it back here shortly. I don't know why that struck me as funny, but okay. So they went and they found this colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. And as they untied it, some people standing there asked, well, what are you doing untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus told them to, and the people let him go. Like, oh, okay, well, that's fine. There's just so much more of the story there we don't know. Why was that okay? Again, it says something about Jesus. I've got some guesses. And when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Like, he just just put some cloaks on there and he just sat on this colt that had not been ridden, trained, broken at all. And many people spread their cloaks on the road. So, So keep in mind... These animals respond to fast motions in intimidating ways. One of the jokes around horse people is that they won't be, you know, afraid of a thunderstorm coming in, but watch a plastic bag go through and they have to bolt. So they're, they're waving cloaks in front of this animal's face. They're shouting. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. So they went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. When you are at a horse event, uh, for example, Pegasus, which is a therapeutic equestrian facility in the area, does a horse show in August and hundreds of people show up. When it comes time for the awards, everybody's instructed, please don't applaud. The noise will scare the horses, so everybody applauds is, you know, waving your hands in the air. This is what we do. It helps that some people don't like applause in that setting either, so that works out. But this donkey is being ridden. It's never been ridden before, and people are yelling. It's nuts to me. So Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And the story finishes without a word about the donkey, because all the donkey did was his job. I should say, too, that donkeys, different than horses, they tend to do one of two things when they are under extreme amounts of pressure. They will either like bolt as far away as they can get and then stop and turn around and look and figure out what to do, or they'll freeze. So it's, you know, flight or freeze. They will just stop. It's one of the reasons people uh, have given them a little bit of a reputation of being stubborn, because maybe you've seen people trying to pull on the donkey, um, I think the assessment of that is it's not the donkey that's frozen, it's the, the person that's incongruent. The donkey's picking up on something uh, that's not working. But not this donkey. This donkey is doing exactly what Jesus has asked of him, step by step by step by step. 
So the nature of our work, well, I should tell you this first. Um, after that Sunday, I went to the barn to do my job, and I, and I was working with my friend Diana, who's taught me everything about horses. And I said, Diana, you won't believe what happened in church. And I told her, I was reading this passage, and I got to that part. I, now that's, that's a big deal, isn't it? <laughs> she, she's a friendly, laughing person. And she said, oh, yeah, it is. I said, well, well what happened there? Like, what, what's that about? And she's not somebody that we talk about faith a lot. She just looked at me, and she just goes, Jesus? <laughs> That's what I thought. That's what I thought. So I want to give you a little bit of a, um, maybe a framework to think about this with. And this is the framework that we use in our work uh, with, with horses and with clients. Um, we also teach this even when we're not in the barn because we found it to be helpful. But it's a framework around congruence. So let me teach you the framework a little bit, and then we'll bring it back to this story and some things that we can learn about Jesus. So congruence is when your actions are consistent with your inner state and your core values. It's when what you're doing matches the things that you know to be true. So for some people, it might be presented as authenticity or emotional honesty. Those might be ways that it, that it helps for you to think about it. A lot of times people think you're born with congruence. You either have it or you don't, especially when we're working with leadership. But that's not true. Um, none of us are completely congruent, and all of us can get better at it with practice and with these skills. What makes it really tricky to develop congruence is all the skills that you need to have it are invisible. They're deeply intuitive, and they're the stuff that you just know. And so by going through and understanding what these four intuitive skills are, uh, the idea is to help people have a word for it, that then they can pay attention to it in a different way, and when they can experience it in one setting, they can then take it back to the workplace in the other. So let me go through those four intuitive skills with you, um, recognizing that all of us have them, all of us are already using them, and that we can all become better at them as well. So the first intuitive skill is connection. Connection is when you and the other are tuned into each other. So if you're working with a horse and the horse isn't paying attention to you, that's not going to work. The same is true with people. Connection is the first and absolute most important of all the intuitive skills. It, it's what everything else hinges on. And, of course, connection looks different depending on the nature of the relationship, doesn't it? You connect with a 3-year-old differently than you do a 14-year-old. You connect with your next-door neighbor differently than your childhood best friend. You connect with your boss a little bit differently than your spouse. It, it's, it's a different kind of connection depending on the relationship, but the connection itself is critical and matters. And the thing about connection, too, is it is generally built in the in-between spaces in life. Rarely do we have chances where, like, you know what, it's time for really important connection. Let's sit down and have good connection. Go. It's the stuff that really happens more often in those, those in-between spaces. It's why our mission commission plans so much programming for us. It's connection. When we go to Minostock, yeah, it's silly, and everybody kind of sings some songs or tells some stories and things, but it's that in-between space that we're creating for each other because we need that level of connection. Also, connection always has a purpose. When you're working with congruence, it's about, it's about a bigger thing besides just the relationship. So the reason we have connection amongst ourselves is because by being part of this congregation, what we're saying is I'm trying to, I'm trying to follow Jesus as authentically as I know how, and I can't do that alone. And we need each other for that. So that's why after church you kind of hang around a little bit and talk to people even if you feel a little bit awkward and like, oh, how was your week? 
Like sometimes it's those little things like that that over time are the things that build the rich connection that is the first and most important part of congruence. None of this, none, nothing else can happen without real connection. You've seen this in leaders, haven't you? People who had a clear vision, knew exactly what to do, a great plan, but were disconnected from people. Uh, it just doesn't work. It's like uh, that thing that happens when you smile with your mouth but not with your eyes. Like that's, that's, not, that's not real congruence. The second intuitive skill is intent. Um, so when you are working with a horse, or you're leading, or you're working with people, or you're raising children, um, or you're trying to be involved in any meeting ever, you have to have clarity about what to do. Intent is absolute clarity about where you're headed. When we're working with the horses, um, and we're teaching somebody, we'll have a lead rope, the person will be holding the lead rope, and here's the horse right here, and they'll say, okay, I want you to lead the horse, go for a walk. And they'll take a, they'll take a walk, and they'll tell the horse, walk on, and then their eyes, almost 100% of the time, do this turn to look at the horse for all kinds of reasons. One, they're really easy to look at, and two, they're a 1,000 pounds, and it's a little intimidating. You're checking on it. You're wondering if they're coming. But for the horse, that's really confusing. That communicates lack of intent because you're saying you're moving forward, but all of your attention is over here. Uh, so what do you want from me? And we do this in our, with ourselves and with other people all the time. Um, we don't quite know where we're going or what we're doing. And that's not a bad thing. Sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes we have to get to those stuck spots to figure out the next thing. Most of us need help and other people to clarify our intent. So whether that's figuring out, how am I going to organize this family reunion? I've got a bunch of decisions to make. You might need some help getting clarity of intent in that. Or what am I going to do on Thursday? It's such a busy day. How am I going to manage that and tend to my email? Ah. And so there's, there's lots of ways that you can work on that clarity. The third intuitive skill is energy. Um, what we mean by energy is the way that your presence affects the other. So you, sometimes it helps to think about it as maybe high energy and low energy. So maybe you've been in situations where um, you needed to get somebody to do something and you felt like you had to like, lift your energy a little bit to get that happen. Or maybe the opposite has happened, where you're with somebody and you're like, oh, this is... This is, a bit of, this, is going, this is a crazy show. We need to settle it down. And so you start adjusting your energy to try to get people to match. Sometimes that energy is um, emotional energy. So you've all been in situations where you've been in a room, you're like, well, everybody here is excited or scared or confused or bored. And so what you're trying to do when you're working on congruence is recognize the energy there, recognize what energy you've got in the space, and figure out how to use that well. The last intuitive skill is pressure. Um, people aren't always wild about this word, but good news. Good pressure can be a positive thing. Pressure is when you're applying and releasing energy to the other for the purpose of accomplishing something together. So, you know, maybe it's that reminder text. I'm going to apply some pressure to, you know, ask about that scheduling thing. Maybe add that emoji to take some pressure off, you know, make sure that that's the, the, you, the people are recognizing the tone. To get a horse to move, you apply pressure. And they do this to each other, and they'll do it really subtle ways. A horse can twitch an ear to another horse, and they'll recognize that as pressure and say, this horse wants me to move. And then as soon as you get the reaction, the ear goes back, and the pressure is released. That's really the best thing you can do for a horse is release the pressure. It's also the best thing you can do for people and do for yourself as well. Um, I think this release of pressure is actually the least talked about and one of the most important leadership skills out there. Good leaders are always taking pressure off of people. 
so that the pressures that we feel are subtle and steady in the direction of clear intent where we have good connection and the right energy to match. But too often, we feel that we have all these tons of other pressures on us and we can't even get to the clear intent because there's, uh, there's that whole kind of dynamic. Okay, so congruence, having what's happening internally match with what's happening externally, and it's done by these four intuitive or invisible skills. So let's go back to this. This is just another picture of what might have happened. So Jesus is on this donkey, and this donkey is willing to carry him anywhere he says he wants to go. So this tells me that Jesus himself is fully, completely congruent. And not a real surprise. He's the son of God. We don't have deity to work with. But he is this perfect combination of the son of God and fully human. And so it's interesting to see how he lived out some of these, um, these intuitive skills, although I'm sure he wasn't using that language or thinking about it in exactly that way or talking about it that way. But think about Jesus in connection, that first and most important of the intuitive skills. Think about the ways people reacted to him and responded to him, how children loved to be with him, how so much of his teaching was just by hanging around with the disciples and building space into that in-between time. Jesus has perfect connection. Just as an aside, we won't get into this today, but for those of you who really like you know, personality theory or Myers-Briggs or DISC or temperament theory or the colors, like all of those sorts of things, look at Luke chapter 7. In it, there are four stories of four very different personalities asking something of Jesus or interacting with Jesus in some way. And Jesus connects with them completely in the way that they needed to, four distinct ways. So however you're wired, however you're made, however you feel like you don't fit with other people, um, and we all feel that sometimes, Jesus is the perfect connection. He knows how to connect with you. He's the one that wired you that way. That's not something you have to worry if you're communicating in the ways that he gets, because he's there. He is connection. When you think about Jesus and intent, Jesus had perfect clarity of intent. He always knew what to do. And that's not just about, you know, his being the son of God. It has so much to do with his ability to be connected to God and to know God's will. That was his clarity of intent. Jesus had perfect energy. He knew when to rest. He knew when to work hard. He knew when to do carpentry work. He knew when to give speeches. And he knew what those things would require of him and would require of other people. And Jesus had perfect ability to apply and release pressure. Interestingly enough, he applied pressure a lot on the people who thought they knew everything. And he released pressure a lot on people who were trying. So it's interesting to look at the New Testament as Jesus' interactions with people both applying and releasing pressure. So there you have it, some thoughts I've been having about a donkey and Jesus over these last few months. Um, thinking about that donkey's response to Jesus has helped me a lot. Um, it's helped me understand the congruence of Jesus in a way that, that even a donkey can understand. So I hope it helps you too. <laughs>